It's Thursday. Guess what time it is? It's time for the Talk That Talk Show with Barry Holmes. Um, it's been a great week. Um, I'm really excited because I have the next day off. I have the off tomorrow. I have all next week off. And I've been really telling all of our viewers out there to make sure you get some personal time and take some time to yourself to enjoy yourself and do the things that you like to do. Because, you know, every day we're grinding, whether we're at our full-time job, whether we're at our part-time job, whether we're pursuing our, you know, our passions in life, you definitely have to take some time to recharge. Um, I know for sure I'm going to try and hit the beach tomorrow. It's supposed to be a beautiful weather tomorrow in Jersey. I'm out, wherever you are outside in the world, um, shout out to everybody of our new listeners and our loyal listeners as well, too. But definitely get outside and enjoy some of these rays. Um, we're going to have a great show lined up for you. So if you're going on a trip tomorrow, you can tune into this podcast. If you don't get a chance to see it live. Um, want to shout out some of the people on our Facebook live stream. My boy Savion Gainer, big ups to him. Uh, Zeeshawn Abbas, who's always giving us our, our dope beats of the week. Uh, shout out to Augito Torres for, you know, it's been a couple weeks for you now, man. You're turning into a loyal listener. And we want to give a shout out to my brother Tyree Holmes, who was the first guest on the show. Then also to Alex Ballone, his big ups to him. Um, love you, bro. Um, but yeah, you know, this show has been something that, you know, we're definitely in our 21st installment now. Um, 24 weeks we've been delivering a quality show. And, you know, it's become more than just a sports show here. Um, the main thing is, you know, we're providing you each week, um, you know, some of the greatest and uh, most reflective uh, sports events out here at Current News. And I'm just going to give you my perspective on, on them. Um, every week beforehand, I, I give out a, a comment feed for people that want to get some of their questions answered. So you can always tweet me at BHO732. Or you can hit me up on Instagram at BHOMES45 and check out some of our other clips. Um, we got a bunch of different avenues for you to check out this show. We're on Spotify. Our full episodes are on Spotify, Google Podcasts. Apple Podcasts, and any type of streaming platform, honestly. We're hitting every avenue. And then don't forget to check out our YouTube channel, hashtag TalkThatTalkShow. Um, we have a couple recap clips for you. And I'm in the process of trying to get some, the full episodes up there, the video episodes. So we got a lot of content for you. Um, I'm, I'm definitely doing the best that I can to continue to get better give you all multiple avenues to check out this show and just see some of the hard work that I'm putting in here. Um, we have an awesome show lined up. Um, one of the first things that I wanted to get into is the, a, a recent comment that I uh, saw in the news from the, the Pelicans GM, David Griffin. And for some of you that don't know who that was, that was the old GM of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And in his three years in working with LeBron, he was responsible for bringing a championship, Cleveland's lone championship, back in 2016. But the one thing that kind of made me a little bit uneasy to say, the fact that, you know, David Griffin said that his time working with LeBron was miserable. And, you know, I, I, I just, 
the couple of the key points that I took from that quote um, that he said in Sports Illustrated also was that he said that everything was inorganic and unsustainable. Now, I will give him the unsustainable part because what we saw from the Cleveland Cavaliers in these past couple years without LeBron has been subpar. But when we think about some of the things that, you know, David Griffin also said in, in terms of not liking working with LeBron, he said that a lot of the blame would go to, to other people and LeBron would get all the praise and all the credit. And I saw that statement as something in the in the sense of whining or, or not really being that valid because when we look in the media, LeBron James is the first person that we see on ESPN. He's in all the clips that we see, and everybody is so critical of LeBron James on a daily basis. I mean, when we look at the standard or what we define as, you know, that player or one of the best players in the league – you always put that bar against LeBron, right? So when you face a guy who has as much criticism as LeBron does, I mean, this is just another instance of someone criticizing him. I mean, LeBron James has been in the media for celebrating at his son's AAU uh, game. And, I mean, some people don't even have a father to come to their games, right? So I think it's very unfair uh, of David Griffin to also question LeBron's winning pedigree now he said that uh once lebron james won in cleveland there wasn't really much left for him to do and i think that's completely ridiculous because lebron james has shown that he has that killer instinct and i don't think that that's ever going to leave lebron james and i think that he's going to be one of the figures that's constantly around this league whether he's playing or whether he's not so for david griffin um, to to still be to still be sour about LeBron James and you know to say that he was miserable working with uh, LeBron in Cleveland. I mean, let's see if he can get a championship in New Orleans, right? He's gonna see how difficult it is, and I'm sure he has you know trying to leave out of Cleveland and seeing how they couldn't have success. But to to take shots at LeBron's character and say that you know he doesn't have the winning pet animal pedigree anymore. It's just it's just completely ridiculous because LeBron James is one of the most ultimate gamers that I've seen in this generation. So you know, David Griffin, this is just you know smoke. I just see this as some a person who's still sour about what happened before, just blowing smoke. So just gotta let it go, man. Um, another topic that I definitely saw that was very interesting, and I'm always gonna be someone that supports NHL. Because I think that uh, hockey is an important, you know, sport in, in, in just sports in general. Um, it's one of the most exciting sports. If you get a chance to check it out live, you should definitely check out a hockey game. But I don't know if you know this, for some of my hockey fans out there, have you noticed that there hasn't been that many fights last year? Um, I can tell you that I've been to probably about, in the past couple of years, I've been to about 30, 40 Devils game. And I can count on one hand how many times that I've seen a fight. Uh, one of those being against the Boston Bruins with my father. We got to see that game. But um, when you look at it, the NHL this year had less than 200 games with fights. And that's the first time in the modern day era. Fights have dropped every season from 2008 to two, uh, starting at 2008, 2009. And 15% of the games had a fight. 
Now, when you look back at 08 and 09, that that number was at 41%. So, you know, in about a decade span, we've seen that fighting has significantly decreased in the NHL. I mean, I remember, uh, you know, on the N64 PS2 days when they had NHL hits, right? We always used to promote the hits and, oh, Ty Domi, all these... uh, enforcers back in the day that literally were just on the roster to be fighters and now we're in an era where you know in the younger generation of teaching hockey and in your junior leagues uh fighting is now in a way frowned upon um you're not it's not a part of the culture to to teach you know the the art of fighting in in hockey um we're starting to see that you know in the era of hockey now where roster spots are so, so critical and so valuable, you're starting to see these teams not take enforcers or, as we call them, goonies to be on the team. And now you're taking skill position guys to fill that void. So this is something that is going to continue on, and it's not going to come back. I feel like as you know, we're entering this slippery slope, we're starting to see that, you know, hockey is starting to be on its way to becoming a no fighting league now. Um, when you look at some of the lower level uh, leagues that we have, like the Ontario Hockey League, now they're instituting a 10 fight rule to where if you fight 10 times, now you're going to be suspended. So now you're putting a dampering on one of the things that make that sport so unique. And it, it, it just really speaks to the era of sports that we're in now where we're really trying to protect the people that are, you know, going every day to, to put on a show for us. Um, in the NHL, when you have fights that happen, you have this, the whole entire stadium gets up and I can't describe to you the feeling unless you've been in a hockey stadium when there is a fight that happens. But in this era now, when you have people that are so concerned with player safety and, you know, head injuries and blows to the head. Um, you're starting to see a lot of other sports that have fighting or are as physical or starting to try and soften things up a little bit. And one of the ways that the NHL tried to combat against that is by saying that in the footage that they saw of fights, only 2% of those fights resulted in concussions. So to put the label on the fact that fights create concussions – that's something that, in, in when you look at the stats, it doesn't really correlate. But I do think that the fact of us trying to control player safety and make it a bigger issue, I see that we're starting to see the trickle-down effect, and the NHL is just falling in line with that trickle. Um, we're, I feel like fights are going to continue to go down each year. It's something that I'm going to be really sad about, but I feel like in, a, in the – you know, sense of when I get older and be able to talk to my children, I feel like I'm going to be talking about the times when the NHL used to fight. And while you're watching NHL, please, please enjoy the fights if you do get a chance to see them because they're going to be gone before we know it. Um, and then we're going to move on to our fan portion here where we have questions given to us by some of the people on our Facebook live streams and some of the people also that hit me up on Instagram. Um, shout out to some of the people that just tuned in on Facebook. We're going to give a shout out to Corey Thomas. We got to play ball again soon. Shout out to Melanie Ramirez. 
Um, shout out to my boy Jeff Kaplan. I hope you like the Mets shirt I got on. We're going to talk about the Mets later, but also give a shout out to Ryan Loomis as well. Um, but this question goes out from Theo Mahan, and it, and it goes, uh, it just makes me so excited for the NFL. If you're excited for the NFL, just, you know, just get ready because we're, we're in for a great ride. But his question says, Melvin Gordon gets traded to who? And for those that don't understand or don't know why this question came about, um, Melvin Gordon's agent went to the Chargers and asked for a trade. Um, and I kind of talked about this a little bit on my shows previously. And I had went on and said that I des- I think that Melvin Gordon does deserve the money because he does have the production. But when we talk about what's happening in the NFL, and we're seeing that the running back position is becoming more and more expendable. I mean, you have Melvin Gordon who's still trying to get his money, but at the same time, right across the way, you have Ezekiel Elliott who's outplayed his rookie contract, and he's still at bay with the Dallas Cowboys as far as getting his money. And you have two guys in Melvin Gordon and Ezekiel Elliott who are at the top echelon of running backs, and now they're not getting paid. Wow. So... This is starting to become the trend of running backs being more and more expendable. Teams do not want to spend money on guys that are getting pummeled in the line and that don't last full seasons, right? And, you know, a lot of teams are starting to go into that cheaper route to where you can get a draft pick, bring them up, cultivate them, and now you have a two- to three-year window to win. And... When you look at the other options that the San Diego Chargers have outside of Melvin Gordon, if he leaves, they have Austin Eckler, who's a guy who's shown you that he can get yards, and especially for Phillip Rivers, who likes to throw the football, Austin Eckler has been a consistent pass catcher for him out of the backfield. So I think that when the Chargers look at it, They see that they have a viable option in Austin Eckler. And they see that, hey, maybe we don't have to give Melvin Gordon $100 million. But this is the NFL that we are in on. You run them down and you move them out like Alex Balonis said. Thank you. You run these guys to the ground as long as they can go. And then you ship them out to somebody else and give them that problem. So when I look at other desired destinations as to where Melvin Gordon could possibly go... I mean, this is just wishful thinking for me, but we all know how the Chiefs lost Kareem Hunt. I would have loved to have Melvin Gordon, but I think there is a 0% possibility of that happening because the Chargers would never trade somebody to in the same division. So when I think about it and I look and see what is going to happen with Melvin Gordon, where may he go, I got to think that he's not going to stay on the AFC because, like I said, the Chargers are not going to help a different opponent, right? But what I see here is I see two teams in the NFC that I really think are going to be potential landing spots for Melvin Gordon. And hold on, Argito. I know you have a great question, but that's actually going to be in a a next segment. So thank you for doing your homework, man. We're going to answer your question soon. But the two NFC teams that I think Melvin Gordon might go to. And the first one I think is going to be San Francisco. I mean, when you look at them, they have Jarek McKinnon, who's still hurt. And, you know, behind him, I don't really see another viable option, man. Um, Tevin Coleman would be a great, 
great, you know, person to try and put there with him in Melvin Gordon in San Francisco. But I think that if you have to put Tevin Coleman and Melvin Gordon up on a pedestal, you got to go with Melvin Gordon who you put there, right? And then as far as the other team that I think, I think that a good chance would be if Melvin Gordon went to Tampa Bay. Um, you got Peyton Barber, who's the number one running back there. And if you have a choice, you know you're going to put Melvin Gordon over Peyton Barber, right? So when I look at these two teams, I see that San Francisco and Tampa Bay could be definitely potential landing spots for Melvin Gordon. And when you look at them, both of them have tough quarterback situations. And in those situations, you have uh, – you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, who's coming back, and Melvin Gordon would only help this man out to really affect that passing attack when you can have Melvin Gordon back there catching passes and also pounding through the line. And I think that also in Tampa Bay, he can help out, you know, those quarterbacks and try and add some some sort of, you know, stability out there in Tampa Bay. I feel like in these past couple years, they've been constantly shuffling pieces and trying to find what works, so... You know, I see those as two definite possibilities for landing Melvin Gordon. Um, you know, if Melvin Gordon does not get a trade, you know, I, I could potentially see him holding out the entire year. Um, we saw Le'Veon Bell do it, and then he wound up somewhat getting what he wants. Um, we're going to see that trend now. Um, you know, people's bodies and you know are on the line here in the NFL. And when you have these guys that are accepting such brutality as they are, why would they not want to try and get their money? Which kind of leads me to the next question. Augusto Torres actually asked this along with uh, my boy Tyree Smith. But they both ask, do I think that Michael Thomas deserves $100 million? And I'm all about paying for production, right? So if you can get somebody who's going to give you the production that Michael Thomas does, I mean, come on. Michael Thomas has given me 1,400 yards, 125 catches, which was the first in the league, and nine touchdowns. So this guy in each of his three seasons has had over 1,000 yards. So, whew, I mean – you're paying for a guy who's been in the top of the wide receiver league for multiple years, each year that he's been in the league. And, you know, he creates that three-headed monster in New Orleans when you have Drew Brees and you have, uh, you know, Alvin Kamara and now Michael Thomas. You're solidifying that offensive attack in New Orleans for a couple years to come. Um, I think that Drew Brees is an excellent quarterback, and, you know, in comparison to Julio Jones, I think that Michael Thomas isn't as good as Julio Jones, but Michael Thomas now sets the bar as far as where are we going to pay all these other high-tier quarterbacks, I mean high-tier wide receivers. Because right now, Michael Thomas is the highest-paid receiver per annual salary, right? So $20 million a year is what he is getting. And... When I think about Julio Jones, I can definitely see Julio Jones as someone that's going to get way more money. Right, Ken? Another guy who could potentially get more money than $100 million could be Amari Cooper, who's trying to restructure his deal. Um, but I think that when you when we just take the Michael, Michael Thomas contract here 
and seeing something that the New Orleans Saints haven't really done characteristically, right? When you look at the past, they traded away Jimmy Graham after they re-signed him. Then they traded away Brandon Cooks before he could end his rookie contract. So I feel like New Orleans saw this as, I am not going to make the same mistake three times. That's what I saw when I saw New Orleans sign Michael Thomas. They saw the ghosts of Jimmy Graham and Brandon Cooks, and they said, we are not going to let Michael Thomas walk out of those doors. And, well, as they shouldn't. This guy is a prime-time threat. He's caught 84.5% of his targets, which is highest in the NFL. He's caught 21 out of 22 passes in crunch time, right? When the game was in a one-score game, in the fourth quarter overtime, this man caught 21 out of 22 catches. And in the postseason, this man had 31 catches for 423 yards and three touchdowns in just four games. So if you need to know why Michael Thomas got over 100, well, got close to $100 million, this is why. He is a baller, he has put out production, and he is somebody that's a physical pass catcher i don't I, I mean there's few people unlike him just like julio jones as well that really just attack the football you have these guys who catch the ball over the middle and they use their body or they try and fall after they catch it michael thomas is physically attacking the football every time he catches that ball so you know i think that when you got to ask is he worth the hundred million dollars Yes, he is. And so are a lot of other receivers in the NFL which are going to get paid. I can tell you right now, Michael Thomas will not be the the highest paid wide receiver for long because there there are other people just like Julio Jones who's trying to restructure his deal who are going to get that money. Now, I got to bring up my most favorite favorite team I'm so happy. I had to bring out the shirt today. I got the DeGrom shirt. Because let me tell you, the Mets are the hottest team in baseball. That's right. The New, the New York Mets are the hottest team in baseball. At 53 and 55, the Mets have won their last 13 out of 17 games. They beat the White Sox today 4 to nothing and swept the White Sox. They've won their last seven games, which is the longest active streak in the MLB. Ladies and gentlemen, the New York Mets are the hottest team in baseball. Let that soak in. Let's not say anything for a second. The New York Mets are the hottest team in baseball. Now, let me tell you what, what this told me, right? The fact that Zach Wheeler... Noah Syndergaard are still on this roster. That shows me that the New York Mets are all in for going into the playoffs. They are all in. We kind of thought, was it going to be a rebuild? Did, did we think that it was going to be uh, something we're going to pack in? Were we going to try and trade Wheeler for some prospects? Noah Syndergaard was definitely going to be traded by the trade deadline. But the guy who was unlikely to be traded was Jason Vargas, and he got traded. So he went to the Phillies for a prospect in Austin, Bozart, who was being a nice catcher, 
who could potentially help the Mets out. I mean, when we look at our future, Wilson Ramos probably won't be catching for the Mets for longer than two to three years. So to get a catcher prospect for a guy and Jason Vargas, who's over 30 years old and, you know, his better years have passed him. So, you know, I see that the Mets made a deal in getting that uh, prospect. That helps out for our future. But as far as for now, the Mets acquired Marcus Stroman and they gave up a couple pitching prospects. But I think that that was huge for us because the Mets still have club uh, club control over him for this year and into next year, right? So maybe Zach Wheeler doesn't resign with the Mets. But you still have Jacob deGrom, who's heading that staff. You'll have Noah Syndergaard. You'll have Steven Matz, who's been pitching better. And you have Marcus Stroman. I mean, is it out of the realm of possibility to say that you know, the Mets have the best pitching staff in baseball. Now, I know that Houston did get Zach Grinke, and that's going to be huge come in postseason time because if you want to go to Houston, you got to face Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, or now Zach Grinke. Good luck with that. But we're here on the National League East. And in the National League, the Mets have now vaulted themselves up to only four games out of the wild card, right? And the only way that we are going to get that to happen is we need to lean on the pitching, right? Um, we got to have our, our, our starters give quality starts. You have Zach Wheeler who pitched a seven-inning gem. You have Jacob DeGrom who's going into long into innings and pitching, you know, less than double-digit hit baseball, which is awesome. Um, we have our pitchers who haven't been walking batters as much as they usually have been at the start of the year. And it's going to be that pitching staff which we need and what we are going to lean on because the bats have woken up for the Mets. As we saw Pete Alonzo, who won the home run derby, you have Jeff McNeil who's getting on base and who's hitting over 330. Uh, so, so we can no longer say that the bats are a problem. You have Robinson Cano who went hitless for four games straight, right? That whole Pittsburgh series, he didn't get a hit. The first game of the Chicago series, he didn't get a hit. But the last two games, he has gotten a hit. And today, he had a two-hit, two-RBI day. So if we can get Robinson Cano to consistently step up, we need Diaz to continue to try and get better as a closer. We brought this guy over to continue to win games late in, uh, in the innings for us. But what he's experienced a little bit before the All-Star break was some issues as far as saving games, and he had consecutive games where he was unable to save them. So when we talk about our pitching staff, we need Diaz, and we definitely need Jerry's Familia to remember how to pitch. He needs to get back to those ways where he had that, that nasty cutter and was working off of his fastball. The split finger was working for him as well, too. But we have a time now where Jerry's familiar has lost his confidence. And when you look at the bullpen for the Mets, um, you have Seth Lugo, who's been pitching well for us there. But we also need those other counterparts to step up. So when I look at this team and I look as far as, you know, what do the Mets need to do to make sure that they can compete into the end of the season and to potentially make a run into the playoffs, they need to make sure that they have their starting pitching in check that are giving quality 
games, right? They're making quality starts. I need those relief pitchers to when it when your name is called, you need to be ready to pitch and don't walk batters. And I need our hitters to not swing it just at that first pitch, right? Try and take some pitches here and get those pitches to get that pitch count up. Because when you get more pitches and you can try and get into that bullpen, it's going to make it easier for you to hit late in the innings to these games. So, you know, if you're the Mets out there listening to this podcast, you know what to do. You know how to go out and win games. Now you just have to do it consistently because you've shown that in these last seven games that you can compete. Now, mind you, Pittsburgh, are they a slouch? No, they're in a very competitive uh, National League Central. Is Chicago White Sox great? Nah, they're not that good. But what the Mets have struggled to do is beat the teams that they're supposed to beat. And what they showed us these last seven games is you are doing what you're supposed to do. And if you're going to try and make a postseason run into the playoffs, you must beat the teams that you have to beat. So in closing, to the Mets, they are two games under 500. They are four games out of the wild card. If you haven't watched any baseball, please check out the Mets because they are the hottest team in baseball. Me and my father and my uncle were actually going to see the game um, in a couple weeks against, yeah, was it August 10th? We're going to go see uh, the Mets play the Nationals. It's going to be a Saturday night game. And don't be surprised if this is going to be a wild card matchup, right? If this could be a, a team in the Washington Nationals that if we beat them, we could potentially vault them into the wild card position. So, you know, the Mets are going to be competing towards the end of this season. They've shown this by the amount of trades that they've made, and they've also shown this in their production in the last seven days. So if you're a Mets fan out there, get ready because we're going to make that playoff push. Um, and that about does it for our show today. Um, we had an awesome Awesome jam-packed episode for you. Um, also, if you didn't get a chance to check out our YouTube channel at hashtag Talk That Talk Show, um, check out the full-length episodes at Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and all streaming platforms. We have the full episodes for you. We got to give a special sh uh, sh shout-out to our sponsors at VW Liquors, located in Wick Plaza, Edison, New Jersey. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets. We always do that for Dave. We got to give a shout out to my boy Cody Bromley at 91s.com in the best acid wash apparel. I saw that he gave uh he did some giveaways to some uh some homeless people in New York. He gave them some fresh threads and he really spoke about how much it meant to him to give, you know, these people who ha probably haven't had a new shirt or a new hat in a long time. Um, he, he gave him some fresh uh, 91's threads. So big shout out to you, Cody. I see you doing big things out there. Um, keep doing that because, you know, when you put positive energy out there, you get it back. And then also to our, our sponsor, the Executive Bar and Restaurant, located at 30 Menu Street in Carteret, New Jersey. They got some of the best... Um, they got some of the best Indian food and alcohol. They had my we had my little brother's graduation party there, and it was excellent. We had an awesome time. So please go out there and check it out if you get a chance to. That closes our show. 
You can always find me at BHO732 on Twitter or on my Instagram at BHOMES45. Message me. Tell me what you want to hear about on the next show. If you want to get on the show and be a guest, message me. I'm always open to having new things and to trying to have new, just a new concept on the episode. Um, you know, we're at 21 episodes, but we're constantly getting better and we're, and we're consistently giving you the content that you want to hear because that's what talking that talk is all about, right? It's backing up what you believe in and giving the people what they want. So thank you for tuning in as well as always to our returning listeners, to our new listeners out there. I promise you that next Thursday you will get another episode of the Talk That Talk Show. And I'll see you next week.